0: Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am, on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Welcome to Herds and Curds. On this week's show, Carmen takes us on a trip to Dreaming Goat's Dairy in the Macedon Ranges.
1: Hello listeners, you are tuned into Herds and Curds on 3CR Community Radio. Today we are just north of Melbourne in Monaghita in the Macedon Ranges at Dreaming Goat Dairy, the newly formed farmhouse cheese production of Sarah Aisner. Did I get your name right? Yes you did. Oh, <laughs> <Love that. fun. laughs> so hi Sarah, welcome to Herds and Curds. Thank you for having me. Oh it's a pleasure. You are farming goats. How many goats? Since
2: when? And So we now have 24 goats on the farm and 10 of them are milkers, uh, which we have built up from the two matriarchs of our herd, Kira and Blueberry, which we first got in five years ago.
1: Wow, so you've, been, you've had the
2: goats for five years and then you've slowly, slowly built up to 24 goats. That's right. It's been a mixture of um, kidding on the farm, buying in some goats, and also um, having some artificial insemination done.
1: Okay,
2: and what breed are they? We have a mix of breeds, partly because we, we like the idea of having genetic diversity on the farm as much as possible, um majority of our herd is sanen We have just bought in four Toggenberg babies that we'll be putting into kid later in the year. And we have one buck who is half sanen and half La Mancha. Let's talk about him because we've just been visiting him actually. He's a little mm.
1: four-month-old buck. He was born in November. November. Last year. Yeah. And let's talk about him
2: because he's got these very special ears. That's right. So he has little nubs of ears, but the pure La Mancha goats have no ears whatsoever. And do we know why? I'm not sure why they don't have ears, but their milk is meant to be quite high in butterfat, and they're meant to be a really nice, friendly, docile breed to work with.
1: Oh, well, there are two lovely qualities. One, mm. we love butterfat cheese making, and of course it's nice to have a...
2: a a calm lovely buck because they can Mm. be pretty feisty can't they that's right and i think before um he was born on the farm we we were going to keep doing artificial insemination and not have a buck but once we we were actually hoping he would be a girl but once he was once he was born we thought uh we'd really like to see what um, interesting qualities he brings to our herd, so we'll keep him and we'll use him for mating. And so he's actually your first physical buck on, on this property then? That's right. We had another boy born a couple of years ago, but um, we weathered him when he was a baby, and he um, he hangs out with our teenage girls now. Mm. And so apart from that, have you had only females that have been born? Here? That's right. Oh, no, no. The other bucks, when we have boys that are born, we keep mm. them here... Uh, and hand rear them until they're weaned, so until they're about three or four months old. Mm-hmm. And then a good friend of mine up in Tullarook runs a meat goat farm on um, 600 acres, and we feel quite comfortable with our boys going to roam around on his 600 oh, I acres. I think that
1: might be every goat dairy goat farmer's mm, dream is to have yeah. a, a meat goat connection where they can live out their lives a little bit longer on a on another That's farm. Right. Yeah, oh, how wonderful. And so are you milking once or twice a
2: day? Just once a day. We started off milking twice a day when we just had Kira and Blueberry, but I think from a number of angles it works to do once a day, both from my perspective and the goat's perspective. It's mm-hmm. less demand on the goats, but mm-hmm. I would literally never leave the farm if I was milking twice a day. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mm-hmm. So do you get to leave it much? Yeah, we do. Oh, we go, we we can sort of leave in the late afternoon, and go down to Melbourne and you know, see friends or something and come back. We're lucky to be close to Melbourne to be able to do that. But yeah, that's without evening milkings. So. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So you mentioned once a day milking and partly that was advantageous for you but also for your goats. Tell us a bit little bit about your other animal husbandry practices.
2: Overall, we try and be as hands-on with each animal as an individual as possible uh observation
1: then would be really important yeah
2: i i've done a course called Obsolim, uh which is a french originally french uh developed method of observing the herd and making changes to uh their feed and other animal husbandry aspects based on what you're seeing in your animals Mm -hmm. One of the things that we're quite proactive about is trying to keep the herd healthy before problems develop. So, for example, we have a rotational grazing system so that we don't have to drench our animals. We do individual worm counts for the whole herd Every three to four months. Mm. And we keep on top of exactly what's going on with each individual animal. Oh,
1: incredible.
2: Um, We do use drench very sparingly, maybe once or twice a year Mm -hmm. on one or two animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're not certified organic, but we try and do everything we can to use as little intervention as possible with the animals. And that's keeping them healthy before intervention is necessary mm.
1: so it's a really proactive approach actually
2: yeah, that's right and I yeah. think it is when you and
1: it can when you've got a small herd it's really you know you can be in, in contact with mm. with each animal and and tell us about your connection to those animals every goat person I know has this wonderful relationship with their animals tell us about yours
2: oh well I just even after five years I still walk out and just have to almost pinch myself that I get to do this every day and go out to my animals. I think there's there's almost something spiritual about being able to be in tune with an animal, setting your body clock to theirs, getting up to milk them, having that reason to get out of bed in the mornings. Often I wake up and Daniel will have gone to work and my kids will still be asleep, and the animals are the first people I talk to. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it's it's just... I also find being with the animals has a very relaxing effect on me and importantly teaches me a lot of patience which traditionally <laughs> I haven't had a lot of
1: but when well, you've That's got... great for rearing your human kids <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, that, them too actually. <laughs> Tell mm. us about your landscape. We've, we've had a little walk on your property and you've got this wonderful undulating landscape. Mm. You've also done a lot of work to this landscape. So tell us what, what it looked like when you
2: arrived. And When we first got here, there was a house on the property, but not much else. How many acres? 50 acres. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty challenging landscape in many aspects. Beautiful, but challenging. The pastures are very poor. It's very rocky. Um, and difficult to get machinery on. So in terms of pasture improvement, we're quite limited in that sense. So uh, we really need to work with the animals through rotational grazing and things like mm-hmm. that to try and get the most out of our pastures. Mm-hmm.
3: You're to 3 mm-hmm. 855 On your end dial You just tuned in the, the Why would you stay listening? And listen a while.
2: The first thing we did when we moved here was have a um, aerial map done of the property which showed all the contours mm-hmm. and from that we could design where we wanted our paddocks, where we wanted our sheds. The high points for the water tanks, okay, um, and we just sort of designed it all. We spent about six months thinking about it before we actually started putting in our fences and our access tracks and our sheds. Wow. And have you made good decisions? So because
1: we can we can plan for things and you know start installing infrastructure, but then realize oh what were we doing there? Or have you guys has that kind of preparation period actually? provided a really great base for the infrastructure that you have. Yeah,
2: look, I think overall we're really happy with where everything ended up. It works really well in terms of being able to move our animals around efficiently, um, in terms of being able to gravity feed water to all the different Mm -hmm. paddocks and having the shed up on the high point so it doesn't get swamped in winter. And I think that's Um, good for goats as well
1: because they love to be on the high point, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And tell us about the little high points you've created in
2: some of your paddocks. So when we were doing our access tracks, we had a bulldozer come and pull out massive um, basalt boulders. And we thought, well, this will be perfect for the goats. So we got the bulldozer to pile them all up into high piles. And it's just so entertaining to watch all the goats jumping up on these boulder piles. Um, And it also helps with keeping their feet, their hooves uh, down so we don't have to trim them quite so often. Which is
1: great. So just the mere fact that they're sort of uh, climbing or... um... Uh, great i don't know how to express that just that the fact that they're scraping folicking. yeah folicking <laughs> on on the basalt rocks means that it's sort of helping to wear down their
2: their yes, horns. New and it seems to be they, they do seem to have slower growth of than other herds i've worked with before well that's great
1: mm. dreaming goat dairy is a newly established business what motivated
2: you to become a farmhouse tea- cheesemaker? After Daniel and I got married, we, we both had corporate jobs in Melbourne and we thought, well, let's do something really different for a year before we come back and get a mortgage and get back to our jobs. So we thought we'd go overseas and volunteer. We weren't seeking out a goat farm, but that's just where we happened to end up. And what, con- what country were you in? In Israel. In Israel. And pretty instantly, we both fell in love with the animals and the <laughs> lifestyle I've never been an animal lover before, so I was really taken by surprise. i had been a bit hesitant to go off and work with goats. Um, and over the course of the year, at some point, we just started going from dreaming about having a goat farm to thinking, well, can we actually do it? And that's also the origin of our name, the the goat dream. Lovely.
1: And herding goats has been, so it's been your vision for a while. What... What from that kind of vision or that dream of when you guys were in Israel when you were traveling around, to to now, what what's been your cheese making trajectory?
2: I started off uh making very small batches of cheese from kira and blueberries milk, Uh and with a vision to become a professional. Yes, yep. yeah, always with a the idea that we would be able to ha- run a business off the farm. I I always said I. I haven't sort of left the city to, to have some pet goats. I want to mm-hmm. have a business and and really hone in this idea of the artisan cheese-making side of things. Um, and, and then I just kept making cheese over the next few years, always in my kitchen, and eventually I had to move into my cheese room. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so when did you complete the construction of your cheese room? Uh, last... Around November time it was completed. And then you became a licensed producer
1: December. In December.
2: Yeah.
3: was on my way home and she lay there in the dirt Too so sick to go on, too cold to sleep through the hurt By the time I arrived, she was gone took her in my arms and walked her out to the car. Watched three hours on the road with the loved one by your side. I took her to that place where we freely ran through the night. Sunk my shovel in to that black sand that doesn't stand out with the tide. With my hands around the chest, I load her into the ground. I feel that hole back in and got How? hell
0: listening to Herds and curds. The song we just heard was the amazing Cash Savage with Howling For Me. Now let's get back to the Macedon Rangers, where Carmen is in conversation with Sarah Aisner of Dreaming Goats Dairy. That's
2: Who have right. we got here? This is alshi my son. You might hear him in the background. <laughs> How are you going?
1: <laughs> no. That's okay. So... Where were we? She, she How is How in, th- in the other room for a bit. <laughs> Have you have you made a lovely picture for your mum? Yes. Do you ever draw goats? No. What what was your favorite cheese you and I have just eaten cheese together. What did you love? <laughs> you can say
2: what you liked, actually. What was it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> was it the halloumi? Yes, we just ate delicious warm halloumi. <laughs> Tell us about how your production is going. Tell us what cheeses you make. We we just ate the halloumi. It was delicious. So I make
2: uh, halloumi, feta, yoghurt, labneh and chev, just goat curd. Mm-hmm. And I also do a couple of different things with the curd. I, I press it into squares and... Um, Marinated in oil and I also dry it out, uh, roll it in pepper and dry it out and then it's um, like a, a grating cheese to grate over salad or pasta or oh, whatever. beautiful.
1: And are these all... How, are you a trained cheesemaker? How did you... Is it just your years of cheesemaking in your kitchen that you've developed your particular um, cheesemaking process?
2: Yes, and I also have attended pretty much every... Um, Australian Specialist Cheesemakers Association training mm-hmm. course that they've put on. They bring out uh, Ivan Larsha, who's a phenomenal expert, and I. Whenever his workshops come up, I always make sure to go to them. But I've never really, you know, studied a cheesemaking making course formally. I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, when do
1: you come? Are there any ever ever any issues, and what do you do if you?
2: need to troubleshoot on a particular production issue or? One of the things that I love about this industry is how collaborative people are and how open people are. Mm -hmm. I have a number of cheesemakers I can call up to ask questions and everybody's extremely open with their processes, with sharing information, with sharing recipes and that's one of the things I really love about the industry is how how everybody works together especially mm. now that there's a Australian Specialist Cheesemakers Association to sort of formally bring us all together during yeah. the year. Yeah, there's a great deal of camaraderie, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And there do you is... engage with the technical
1: forum as well?
2: Yeah, I do. Mm. I uh I follow all those email threads closely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, do. I do too. I find them very
1: interesting actually. Mm. and And so, when you were constructing your business did you, what kind of challenges did you come up with in terms of your cheese making room? Uh,
2: well, one of the massive challenges was we bought everything second hand, mm. so we didn 't anticipate quite how difficult it was going to be mm. to get it to a state that it could be a dairy food safety approved okay. facility, so okay. it took three mm. months to clean. All the bondor panels, oh, right. and each panel had to have the silicon meticulously scraped off without scratching the bondor and replaced, uh, and oh. and then and then put up again from oh, scratch. Wow. So, look, financially, it would have been too difficult to build something new. So mm-hmm. it was a great option for us. But I think one of the biggest difficulties with the industry is that huge barrier to entry, the financial cost of building a facility. It's cost prohibitive, isn't it? It is. And I know a lot of... small farmers who make beautiful cheeses who could just never take that step because of that cost barrier. Mm. And it would be great if there was a way that either there was a separate licensing regime for very small producers or whether there were some scope for shared facilities so Mm. more people could share their beautiful cheeses.
1: And I think it's also good to enlighten consumers, actually, why farmhouse cheese can actually be a little bit more expensive than some of the Mm. imported the similar cheese of an imported yes product. Yes. So it does help to explain some of those.
2: Definitely. Differences. <laughs> Cost of producing. Mm. Mm. You're listening to 3CR radio.
1: Do you feel optimistic about what you're doing and about our industry?
2: I do. I think even over the last five years that I've been working towards um, Getting the business started. I've seen other small cheese makers pop up, mm-hmm. and when that happens, my reaction is that's fantastic because the more of us there are, the more consumers will know us, yeah and, and the don't... more of the market there will be. Oh, that's good. And there's just so you don't feel threatened by there's that. There's no sense, at least not for me, of feeling like oh, there's you know they'll take my market share. I think the market share is bigger than. The products that are being produced now. Mm. I mean, awesome. if you go to places in Europe, every small town has a cheesemaker, mm. and we just don't have that same history of culture mm. in Australia. Yeah. So there's a lot of room for more um, farmhouse cheesemakers. And do you think that
1: consumers are changing? Like, you know, people are regularly or daily buy. You know, they're buying cheese
2: very regularly. They're, it's part of their daily diet, as it would be in Europe. It's hard to say because the people who I see are the people who go to farmers markets. Mm. So I have a very uh, narrow vision of what the consumer looks like. And, but those consumers are, are more informed. They're seeking out local, ethical, sustainable products. Mm. But how much of that reverberates through the wider consumer group, mm. I'm not sure. Yeah, and how representative is that, mm. that consumer
1: yeah. group? Mm. And finally, what advice would you give to somebody that wanted to start a farmhouse cheese production?
2: Make contacts. Make contacts. Make contacts and call people up and ask to visit. Hmm. That's what I did when we got back to Australia. Other producers, other dairy farmers. Every single person I called up and I said, look, I want to start um, a farmhouse cheese business. Can I come and visit and see what you do? Did everybody say yes? Everybody said yes. Everybody opened their doors. Everybody was really transparent with me with the issues that they face uh the other thing i would say is join industry associations Mm. so you've got those connections because you know without coming from a farming background or a cheese making background it's really important to have that network that you can call upon otherwise you're you you really will struggle to sort of overcome all the hurdles along the way that that there are when you're setting up a business of this nature mm. wow well thank you thank you for giving
1: us the time to chat today and in fact you've even had time to make biscuits today which is incredible so we're going to eat some some of your beautiful cheese and and your biscuits thank, thank you, you Sarah so much. Our Dreaming Goat Dairy very beautiful thank you
0: listening to Herds and Curds. You can let your friends and family know about Herds and Curds and suggest they listen back on the 3CR website via our program page. They can also find us as a podcast. If you'd like to see some of the beautiful photos of the people, animals and environment we explore through the program, look us up on Instagram at Herds and Kurtz.